0: Hey friends, welcome to Her God Story Podcast, where you will always hear a good story to encourage, inspire, and equip you in your walk with the Lord. I'm your host, Jody Caracosta, ministry leader at Somebody Cares America and International, author and traveler on this journey of faith. When I think of today's guest, Psalm 89, verse 1, leaps to mind. The New King James Version says, I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. With my mouth, I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. Cassie Smith is the perfect blend of that verse. As a longtime worship leader, songwriter, and recording artist, she definitely sings of God's mercy. We have links to her EPs, There is Hope, and Lay a Hold in our show notes. As an ordained minister and discipler, she shares God's faithfulness to younger as well as more seasoned generations. In 2009, Cassie founded Vision Academy at the church where she was serving, and the program trained believers to be leaders wherever God places them. She also co-founded the Houston Worship Community. Cassie served with Somebody Cares America for several years, helping with disaster response efforts, supporting our chapters around the country, and helping produce our other podcast, A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends. And uh, she also uh, shared a few messages on that, so you should check her out on that podcast as well. Uh, Then God called her to Freedom Church as a worship director, but her favorite role has been surrogate mom for her niece and her nephew. Welcome, Cassie.
1: Hey, Jody, it's so good to be here today with you, and uh, thank you for having me.
0: Cassie, the first thing I heard about you before we even
1: got to know one another was
0: that you were a girl who storms castles. That was such Mm -hmm. great imagery. I was thinking, I want
1: to meet this woman who says she storms (laughs) castles. So what was that all about? Yes, I've loved that phrase and have used it in my life for the last probably 12, 15 years now. Um, it came about at a time when I was just reflecting on my life as a woman, as a leader. I would have been in ministry about a decade at that point, youth pastoring and, and worship leading, uh, really co-pastoring alongside my parents. We didn't necessarily call it that, but that's what I was doing. And I was a single woman, and I'd read a book at that time called Captivating by John and Stacy Eldridge. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a young leader, single The subtitle of that book is Unveiling the Mystery of a Woman's Soul. And that really captivated me as as the title of the book does. Um, It stated that a woman wants to be an irreplaceable role in a great adventure. Meaning she doesn't just want to be the damsel in distress. She wants to be part of the adventure along. She doesn't want to be the adventure, (laughs) you know, the, (laughs) the man capturing the woman's heart and rescuing her. But she wants to be part of it and play Uh, you know, a role alongside that. And I've seen how God has used the woman and the role of a woman, um, you know, as an intricate part of building the church and building the kingdom of God. And now in 2022, we see tons of films that has the girl and the woman as the heroine, as the hero of the story. She's wielding the sword. She's saving others. Um, But for, for so long, we didn't see that. And then at the time that God had really dropped that phrase, Girls Who Storm Castles, in my heart, you didn't see that um, on the screen or in the books. And so it just really, it captured me in this season of thinking I was needing to wait on something, but I didn't feel like I needed rescuing. I had a savior who had rescued me, have a wonderful family. So I didn't feel lost or feel like I was missing anything. And so I'm thinking, why am I waiting? What am I waiting for? What does that mean to wait? Um, And I just I realized I wasn't a damsel in a tower under lock and key and that I had a job to do. And I was already doing that within my family role um, with, like you mentioned at the at the beginning with my niece and nephew, I was already seeing myself as this girl with the sword who was, you know, going, I, I hadn't really even left home at that point. I was probably in my mid twenties and hadn't really ventured outside of the four walls of my church, but I'd seen just in a spiritual sense that I had a sword and that I was going and I was storming castles and, and those castles are, you know, the gates of hell (laughs) and I was going and, and rescuing. And so that's been something that I've loved, maybe just a theme of my life. So that's awesome that that's the first thing you heard about me.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, that, uh, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God is powerful. And, you know, it's not only for men to use. Women use it all right. the time in prayer, in teaching, or uh, raising up uh, children. And it is powerful to pull down strongholds. So uh, I love that imagery. And it's, um, it's a good one for us to all keep in mind that we are all women who can storm castles. Amen. Well, Cassie, it's clear that you've been following the Lord wholeheartedly. When did Jesus first become real to you?
1: Yes, I would uh, would go right back. You know, when we talk about go back to that first love, I'd go right back to a five-year-old little girl standing in mm-hmm. an altar in church. I don't remember what compelled me to move from my seat into that altar area. Um, I, can, I can think back, you know, there's people around, there's people praying, worship music's going on. Uh, my grandmother and my parents would have been on the platform leading worship at that time. But I can't remember what part of service it was at. I don't remember if a message was preached. I just remember being so consumed and overwhelmed with the love of God. I didn't have all the the verbiage and being able to really articulate what I was feeling or what I was experiencing. But I I knew what love was from Mm. my father, from my grandfather, from my parents. I knew what that was. And so I had no trouble knowing that what I was feeling was the love of God. And um, did and you ever doubt it
0: growing up? I mean, you know, you you accepted Jesus when you were five. I mean, yeah. As you started learning, did it seem strange to you, or it just seem this is
1: right? I, I think because that encounter was so real, mm-hmm. and it wasn't um pr- prodded by any adults in my life in that moment. It literally just happened on mm. its own, with work of the God Holy meeting me in now people created that atmosphere. We were in a church service. There was worship going on. There was a setting, you know, that invited the presence of God to come in. But I think because it was such a real moment Mm -hmm. of me personally experiencing, I I could feel it. I could sense it. I had some, you know, from Sunday school and children's church, I had some knowledge of Jesus died for me. So I had heard those stories even at five years old. Um, So I think because of that, and then that relationship progressed, I was baptized in water at 12. I remember experiencing the the gifts of the Holy Spirit at nine years old, because those happened so young, and they were so real. And adults were around adults helped cultivate, but nobody said this is what you have to do.
0: Yeah, and there was
1: no... No hanging me over the pits of hell. I was just a little kid, um, yeah. but it was just the uh, Doug talks about it and we talk about. It and somebody cares a lot. The just the presence of God and and build, you know have, setting a table for God to come and meet people. And um, so I had that real encounter. So I do not remember Jody. I'm 40 years old this year, and I do not remember one time that I ever doubted the reality of God, of Jesus, and of the Holy Spirit. Of just I've never questioned whether or not he's real. Amen. Well, your father
0: and your grandfather, and was it even your great-grandfather, were all pastors? Yes. So you grew yes. up in and around the church. I mean, you know, you were part of that family, of uh, church family, as your family was kind of all one. Um, yes. So what did you want to be when you grew up? Did you want to be a pastor? What was the dream
1: or vision you Absolutely. had for your life? <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> I call I, I teased about it in my teen years about it being the family business, even though it definitely wasn't set up like a business. Um, but just the stage scared me. Microphones scared me. I remember one time I was in in junior high. And my grandfather wanted us to read the Christmas story um, in loop two. And it was five of the grandkids. They had seven, but five of us were there. And he wanted us to share portions of the story. And he he knew uh, me and one of my cousins, Natalie, are very shy kids. So he <laughs> knew he was going to have to do a lot of probably he probably bribed us with some treats. I don't know. But he really worked with us and I did it. But I just remember even now that I'm talking about it, I feel that like, oh, because I just remember <laughs> the absolute terror of the moment. Um, and if we had a really broke down and cried, he wouldn't have made us do it. But no, to answer your question, I did not dream of following in their footsteps. Although I knew by 14 that that was what God was calling me to do, um, mm-hmm. and to enter into full-time ministry in the area of church ministry. Um, but I didn't, I didn't dream of that. The, the long-term kind of running dream that I've always had. I probably wanted to be a vet when I was in kindergarten. That's kind yeah, of a classic yeah. <laughs> kindergarten five-year-old. Um, I wanted to be a teacher at one point. I thought about that. I was a teacher's aide in, in my senior year of high school, and I enjoyed that. But the one that just stayed with me my entire life, as far back as I can remember, was just the dreams of being a mother mm. and wanting to have and raise babies. And uh just dreamed of that, dreamed of of what that would look like and and watching my grandmothers and my mom and even my sister, um, you know, carrying babies. And that just, that's always been a dream. Yeah. I know
0: growing up, I, I was the one who wanted a big family and my older sister, she (laughs) wanted to be a businesswoman and, um, you know, didn't, didn't want to have to give up that. Of course, the Lord changed all of that when we grew up and I ended up, you know, serving in ministry for many, many years as a single woman. And, um, I, I, eventually married and God gave me a family, an immediate family of six children, yeah. uh, which is a whole nother story, which we won't go there right now, but <laughs> you know, I know, I mean, you know, God, Yeah. God, uh, tends to not, not deny us our desires, but fill, fulfill them in other ways that are better than we could have imagined because yes. they're bigger than we could have imagined.
1: Mm-hmm. Just a happy note onto that and you saying it's even bigger than what we could even imagine. Um, There was one year I was doing something called Vision Academy in our church and um, had been in ministry probably 15 years at that point. And there was a Mother's Day, and that's usually a hard day, especially when that's been your dream your whole life. And I had this prolonged season of singleness. I'm 40, still single, never been married. Um, but the students, the vision Academy students who ranged in ages from, um, we had 17 and 18 year olds all the way up to in their sixties and seventies as part of this group of, uh, visionaries. Mm -hmm. And they presented me with a bouquet of flowers and, and just gave a little speech about me being their spiritual mama. And that moment was so, it was completely unexpected, and I, I definitely was holding back tears. And I just felt the Lord say, I gave you more than, you know, you even knew you wanted. And yeah. this is a family. And this is what, like, you're a mother with without ever bearing a child. And this is yeah. what that looks like. And so, um, you know, it's not bone in my bone and flesh in my flesh, but I knew what the Lord was saying. And it really was in that moment, just a, a salve to my soul of mm-hmm. healing and, and just knowing God's got this, he's got my life.
0: Yeah. Well, you're, uh, during your senior year of high school, you had been living what in Tennessee, right? And you're doing your senior year of high school, your parents made a huge move. And I know, I mean, your senior year is kind of sacred to young people and, you know, rightly so it's a rite of passage year of passage, but what did that do to you and your plans
1: and your dreams and your, your vision.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah. So we were living in Texarkana. It's right on no the Texarkana. border of Arkansas and Louisiana and Texas and had lived there my whole life. I was 17 on the verge of 18. A um, Little bit of a backstory to that is my parents had left the ministry when I was a young child, probably six or seven years old. They weren't walking with the Lord all during, mm-hmm. you know, my adolescence and into my high school years and just had an encounter with God, an overnight transformation. I think I was probably a junior in high school at that time. And they got back into full-time ministry. And wow. during that, during that time frame, I was probably 15, 14. I'd gotten into a really a relationship that went real serious. You know how you know teenage yeah. puppy love can be. It, it turns real serious real fast. <laughs> yes. And so I just, I had all of the notions that this was it for me and I'd be married before I got out of high school, which is so great, you know, typical teenage years. And so um, my parents' overnight transformation led to them uh, taking a position at a church across town. Okay. And so this is a year before the big move. They had just moved us across town and I was utterly devastated. Mm. They were moving me from my home church. My grandparents were pastoring there. Uh, my boyfriend attended that church. And here we had, you know, I had the, the right to say when I went to church and when I didn't go to church because my parents weren't in. Yeah. And so it was really an independent thing that I got up and went to church or that I attended youth on Wednesday nights. And so here now they're saying we're back in we're going to serve God as a family and we're taking this position and we all want to go to church together. And they were gracious about it, but you know being a parent to teenagers, <laughs> you could <can> be <laughs> as eloquent as possible and kids are going to flip out. And so that's that's all leading up to this big move and the, and moving 5 hours south to Houston and that was during my senior year i had 6 months left of school um i don't know jody if i was really concerned with my friends or walking with my class i don't know that that was really my big hang up it was this boyfriend i'd had all uh, through high school Yeah. this idea we're going to get married very serious weren't weren't keeping it holy none of the you know it was it was a mess and so i'd worked out this deal My dad said, okay, we'll let you stay with your grandparents, finish high school, but you're going to give us that six months back. And so I had absolutely no intention of moving to Houston or Baytown is where we landed ever. Yeah. But as most teenagers do, I talked out of both sides of my cheek and I'm like, okay, I'll do that. But I fully intended to, I was, I'd, I'd find a way to be married, uh, right out of, you know, right after graduation. Whatever I had to do, but, I was not uh, You didn't get I mean, married, Adamie. obviously. I did not get married, obviously. So what happened? I took <laughs> So kicking and screaming a little bit, um, I came to Baytown. My parents really, you know, I'm that personality that when I give my word, even if I'm half-hearted in it, if you hold me to that and you don't let me off and you're like, Cassie, you, you said this. Mm. And that's what my dad did. He had a, a conversation with me. It was... A couple of weeks after graduation, he calls and he's like, Hey, why aren't you here yet? <laughs> you know, <laughs> we, we left you after graduation. You're going to pack up your stuff, get in your car and head to Houston. And you're not here yet. And I said, well, I don't have any intention of coming and that didn't go well. That long story short, that didn't go well, but he held me to my word and he kept putting that before me. Cassie, you promised, you said, you give us back the six months and six months to the day. Jody I was ornery. I was acting like such a child and trying to profess my adulthood and my right to choose to be a grown-up but I had no job I had no money I just had you know the money that that, that you get when graduation and everybody yeah. sends cards you know that wouldn't that wouldn't last me long no but that's no. all I had. Had no car except the one they gave me, um, you know, to use for school. Yeah. So I kind of, I've always been, even in my rebellion, pretty responsible. And I just kind of put two and two together. This isn't going to work out staying here. And got in the car, went with them, stayed here for six months. And right down to the day, um, the Lord just, he met me in that six months period. Mm -hmm. I wasn't seeking him. I didn't really think I needed to change anything. I thought I was a good person. Like I said, I was even rebelling responsibly. I wasn't, you know, messing up my life or anything like that. I'm doing kind of the normal things to the progression of life. But God, like we talked about, had bigger and better plans. And uh, yeah. right down to that six month period, long story short, still to this day, I'm in Baytown. I never left. And <laughs> um, God just transformed my life. <laughs> Yeah.
0: So, you know, a lot of times people who receive Jesus, I know I did when I was young, um, when they get into their uh, young adult years, they kind of have an aha moment with God, another revelation of who God is. And I think it's because our brains, this is what Pastor Robert Morris says uh, from Gateway Church, you know, our mm-hmm. brains get to a place where we have a deeper and, and, and more complete understanding. And that uh, revelation of God becomes not real, but almost real again. Did you have mm-hmm. something like that happen to you?
1: Absolutely. And I, I, I can't tell you the date or the time, but I would say it would be in, in between that once I made that decision, I wasn't leaving Baytown and really began to kind of reevaluate where I was with God. I knew that that like we talked about a little bit earlier that. Experience I had when I was younger created this tether to the to the anchor that is Jesus Christ. He's the yeah. hope of my salvation. And even though I had a lot of slack in that tether, I could feel I could feel when He would pull it <laughs> and kind of pull me back in. And um, during that six month time, that's what He was really doing. He was tightening up that slack. So I would have been eighteen at this time, mm-hmm. and really over that course of those two uh, the next two years, eighteen to twenty. I just feel like he, he took all that slack and, and just drew me so close to him. And I, he became real in a whole nother way, um, where it was much more, um, like, I think the difference of, uh, as a parent to a young child, you were, you were talking about your grandbaby earlier, just yeah. learning to walk, <laughs> you know, um, and so that hovering that we do, we jump out of our seats when they start moving across the room and we're kind of wa- watching them and making sure they don't fall and hurt themselves. And that we don't do that to a teenager. We don't do that to a young adult. When they get up and move across the room, we just kind of, you know, if we even notice, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we may say, hey, you know, there's milk in the fridge or, but there's not that hovering. And I think the Lord, our relationship with him progresses much like that immaturity maturity. And there's actual conversations that are taking place. And so I think in that two-year period, it was more just, uh, I was given a book, I believe it's by Joy Dawson, an older woman in our church gave it to me. It's called Intimate Friendship with God. Yeah. And that was during that 18 to 20-year-old Cassie. Uh, I read that book and it just awakened that intimate friendship with God. Um, that I didn't have as as a five-year-old or a 12-year-old or even a 16-year-old began to really develop that. And I would say over the last 20 years of my life, I've watched that deepen. So you stayed in Baytown
0: and um, Mm -hmm. obviously didn't get married to your high school sweetheart. I did Um, not.
1: He's doing well, has a beautiful family.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But, you know, by the time you reach your mid-20s, you still weren't married and I mean, I know I I got there too, and I was struggling with the Lord about it. You know, throwing right. my temper tantrums I think every that's so why often. I
1: w- that's why I've always just really um, loved our friendship and loved our mm. our chats, Jody, is because I've been able to glean a lot of wisdom um, because you've you've gone before me, not very much farther before me. <laughs> you're not. You're, Thank you. You're Thank young you. as well. You're young as well. <laughs> But even just a few years down the line is is something to glean from. And so I appreciate that you've always been really honest and open with your story.
0: Yeah, but you know, disappointment. When we're when we're disappointed in life about something that we thought we thought was from God. I mean, obviously marriage and family are from the Lord. He created them in the first place. Right. And right. so when we think, and, and whether it's about that or something else, when we have a deep disappointment in our life, it can really drive us away from the Lord if we let it. Um, but you didn't let it do that because you had a revelation from the Lord about that. What what was that? Yeah. I think it's a wonderful revelation.
1: Thank you. Um, yes, I, I begin to understand what disappointment really is, that it's an emotion, um, that it's a feeling. Uh, it used to lay me out. It used to cause me to go into anxiety and depression, and sometimes a, a weird combo of the two things, and and just really hurt my feelings. Of mm-hmm. why wouldn't God let me do this? Why wouldn't He give me this? You know, the Word says He doesn't hold withhold any good gifts from His children, and so why am I seeming to be the only kid <laughs> without the good gifts? And um, which is just a, a lie. It wasn't true. God wasn't withholding anything good from me. Um, But I began to understand that word disappointment um, was, at first I learned my emotions are not evil and that they're indicators. Just like when we have pain in our body, that's an indication something is going on and we need to pay attention. My emotions were God-given and they do the same thing. And so when I began to look and understand what the word disappointment really means, the prefix dis means not. And the word appointment means a set or appointed time. And my mind, when I realized that and kind of saw that picture of disappointment, not the appointed or set time, my mind went to Psalms 37, 23, and the Amplified Bible says it this way. It says, the steps of a good and righteous man are directed and established by the Lord, and he delights in his ways and he blesses his path. And so when I've felt disappointed in life and I've definitely allowed my heart to grieve in those moments mm-hmm. um because most of the time moments those big moments in life are attached to people. Yeah. It's really when it comes down to it people have disappointed us or I've disappointed myself and so I've allowed time for grief um you know when a relationship comes to an end or as pastoring people and they leave your church um you lose touch with a friend maybe it's a job loss promotion you didn't get. People disappoint people. And I've chosen to lean on and choose to trust the sovereignty of God in those moments that he has appointed my steps. He is establishing, making firm every place that my foot will land. And, um, I have to get up and keep running the race. If I give in to disappointment and I'm only at mile 10 and I stall out and I just sit there for 20 years, then I miss what God has at mile marker 15 and mile 20. And maybe that promise is at 25 and I'm still sitting back here at 10 disappointed. And so I've watched disappointment rob the years off of people. Yeah. And so I've chosen not to allow that to happen in my own
0: life. Amen. Well, once you abandon your plan for God's plan, I mean, not saying it would never happen, but saying, all right, I'm not going to set my expectation. And once you abandon that to God, he started revealing things to you about yourself that you didn't even realize. I, I like to say that God knows me better than I know myself. Yes. Yes. And if I trust him and follow him, I'm going to find joy and fulfillment in ways I could never have expected. And it has been true in my life over and over and over again. So what are some of those surprising
1: things that he showed you about yourself? I was a really shy and timid kid. And through the course of my life, I would say over the last 20 years, nobody who has known me in this season believes that about me and they always kind of roll their eyes and I have to get my phone out and call my mom and like mom <laughs> tell them how scared and how timid and how shy I used to be um and my mom my mama says it she'll sign her cards to my girl who storms castles because that means so much more my, I get my personality from my mother and she knows what it's like to be timid and shy and afraid to talk to people but I've learned um the surprising thing that I have a voice.
0: And mm-hmm. that I
1: I have confidence in God, and so all the things that would cause me to shy away and to back away, um, I pushed through those because of the firm belief I have confidence in God, and I have a voice. He gave me a voice, and so that's been the most surprising thing. Amen. Think, and is a voice I'm really more not ways. that shy.
0: <laughs> no, and you. But he's given you a voice in more ways than one. He's given you a voice in worship. And he's given you a voice yes. in teaching. And, yes. um, and you know, I, actually, it would have been very difficult, probably, if you had been married young and started having children young, um, yes. for God to bring those things out in you at this
1: part of your life. It may, it may have I taken many, many more agree. years. I wholeheartedly agree. Um, and in, And I see that in any relationship I've ever been in that, um, you know, I don't just take the backseat. I kind of wind up in the trunk somewhere, maybe hanging <laughs> on for dear life on the hood. I don't know. I've just never, when I entered those, those seasons where I've been in relationships and it was, you know, maybe progressing, or we were considering what the future could look like. I just always went side side. I never spoke up. Mm, yeah. uh, I, there, I think back on one time, Jody, we went and had dinner and you said, what do you enjoy doing? Yeah. What are your hobbies? You know, and i had gotten so kind of tied up in fulfilling everybody else's dreams and helping everybody else that I kind of forgotten and lost myself in the process. And I couldn't even remember what I enjoyed. Yeah. Um, and, it, and it was such a good question because it challenged me to get back to, okay, don't, ta- don't do that. Don't take a, a back seat. And so i I know that doesn't happen. You know, that's, that's not, what happens to everyone, you know, marriage is not right. a bad thing. We said that no, a while no. ago yeah. and people do grow and can find their voice. But I feel like I was a personality and and a person that really needed to, <laughs> to be a, along with God and really take that singleness to uh, develop and understand who I am and what I was created to do. Yeah. So working in a church,
0: you often hear, I'm sure you do. Um, people wondering, what God's plan is for their life. You know, that's a big question. I mean, all of us really, when we're young, what God's plan for my life, when we we become new believers, what God's plan, what's God's plan for my life. And God gave you an idea for the vision Academy, which you referenced earlier um, Mm -hmm. that to help people discover exactly what God's plan is for their life, their unique plan. Um, So what did God, what did you see God do through that ministry?
1: Absolutely. I. Um, that was such a special time in my life. It went over a course of five years. We had 56, uh, 56 students that last year and so many stories. Every single one of those students were my friends, were people that, you know, I was there when their babies were being born. I was there when they were going through stuff at their house for dinner. So it was so much different than, you know, your typical kind of academy or leadership school. It was really a lot of friends just got together and said, we want to know why we're here on this earth. What did mm. God design us to do? And so um, through a vision that I had, actually, I was washing my hair and God showed me a vision of, he said, there's going to be a, a time when during service, people are going to respond to the call of full-time ministry. And I, I knew the exact number. I knew mm-hmm. there were 17 people that would come forward and you were going to tell them Tuesday night, 7 p.m., show up. It's called Vision Academy. Jody, between you and me, that's all I had. That's all the information <laughs> I had. But that very next Sunday, I honestly, when I had the vision, I thought, okay, yeah. And I thought it was going to be so far in advance. It was two days later. Wow. We, my dad was wrapping up the church service, and we always did kind of a soft close because people were praying. And so he'd say, you know, if you need to leave today, you're blessed, Be you know be blessed out. And, but he stopped his, his kind of closing prayer and called it. I just feel like there's people in here. You feel this full-time ministry and you don't know what it looks like or how it's going to happen. I want to come, I want you to come forward. I want to pray for you. And I I, kinda, I was at the keyboard and I just stopped, <laughs> just kind of <laughs> hung on a note of like, Oh my, that means Tuesday we're starting vision Academy. And I haven't even talked to my dad or any of the leadership about this. Um, but I knew that, I knew that I had that vision. I knew that that was what God was doing. And so through that, I watched, um, 56 people go through this. And the first year is about finding your vision. What is the unique calling that God has written upon your heart? What are, what are you, um, what are you passionate about? And just begin, begin to uncover, you know, so many people go to prayer lines and they want something prayed on them yeah. so that they have the boldness to go and preach. Or, and it's not that Jody. is unlocking what's already, what was written in those nine months as you were being woven together in your mother's womb. What was God writing? What was that story? What was he putting on the inside of you? This was about just uncovering that. And so I think yeah. one of my favorite stories was Miss Betty. Miss Betty had been in church a lot longer than I knew her and, 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 I knew her 15 years, but she had been, had a history with God far longer than that. And a precious, precious friend of our families. She probably was in her late sixties, early seventies when she entered Vision Academy and she entered kind of in this mode of, I don't think this is for me. And that was a lot of people's first day story. I don't think this is for me because they didn't see them fitting into a pastoral or an evangel, evangelistic role, which was Mm -hmm. kind of the two main, when you go to Bible college, that's kind of what you're thinking. You're going to pastor a church or you're going to be an evangelist, um, on the road, some sort of on the road ministry. But Miss Betty came, she participated, she did all three years. Uh, one of the most beautiful things is she revolutionized how we did Sunday mornings. She was so, she had a gift of hospitality And she began to prepare these breakfasts that we would serve. And at a time when our church had maybe seven people showing up to Sunday school, and five of those were my family members, (laughs) um, she she took this idea that her and I sat down together and we'd begin to do breakfast. And 80% of our church was showing up early. We're having breakfast as a family. And we would have our Vision Academy students kind of stealthy. Doing Bible studies in the midst of this, they didn't stand up at a podium or anything like that. They would literally be sitting at tables and saying, "Hey, you know what? Ephesians four was on my heart this week." And they'll kind of give a little expert uh, excerpt of Ephesians and and what that was meaning to them. Um, but watching Miss Betty, who didn't think she was capable of being a leader and didn't see her role in the church, she was such a pivotal shifting kind of an old out of an old traditional style of doing church into more family and community minded. And she had men showing up an hour or two hours early to cook bacon and sausage and eggs. And they're all in there. And that's community. They're talking, they're having a good time. And it just set up for such a great Sunday morning through Miss Betty and through her hospitality gift. And she was such a, she was more of a leader than she ever saw herself.
0: And she didn't know she
1: didn't know that that was needed.
0: She I mean, hospitality she actually she is know. in the Bible. It says, you know, be <laughs> hospitable. I mean, that's one of our commands of the Lord is to, yes, you know, and, and it's so often overlooked as, as being important, but it's not. Absolutely. I mean, I think of that's Mary so and Martha. True. I mean, gosh, how many times did they open their home to Jesus and the disciples and um, just being hospitable? Leading all those groups and that program, did it help you define the mission and vision for your life?
1: It is why I have the, mis- the mission and the vision for my life. Um, had I not done that and, and really came alongside, yes, I was leading, you know, in charge, so to speak, but it was really just coming alongside people right where they are and just having conversations. My grandmother, uh, one of the things she's taught and and I picked up on and hung, hung on to is if you let someone talk long enough, they'll answer their own questions. Yeah. And so really- Being a good friend is being able to ask the right questions and then so vital that we listen. And don't interject, uh, but just go ahead. I was going to say, so what is your mission or vision in life? I would say it is I'm a friend. I'm a friend of the local church. I'm a friend of my neighbor. I'm a friend of my family. And being a friend just means I'm available. I'm a listening ear. Um, and all for the purpose that the kingdom of God would advance, that the gospel would be preached, that people would find peace, that w- they would find their hope in Christ. Um, that's the mission in yeah. anything that I do, whether it's leading worship, teaching, or training, or I homeschooled my niece and nephew for a ten-year period. Um, I've mothered them over that the course of that ten years. Um, even in those things, even in the daily, you know doing the laundry and washing the dishes, all of those things, that's my mindset. I want to be a friend. When people come into my home, I want it clean. So part of the motivation (laughs) of getting up and cleaning it and taking care of the home is a gratefulness that I have it, but also is that I want it to be a welcoming and a safe place. Um, And that's really what I want my life to represent.
0: Yeah, I love that. I love that. You know, Abraham, it says in the Bible that he was a friend of God. And, um, you know, I know you're a friend of God, but you're also inviting other people through your friendship to also be his friend, which is powerful in everything that you do. And, and it, it happens in different ways, you know, a lot of different Mm -hmm. ways in a lot of different places, but when that's your underlying mission that God's given you, it, uh, yeah, it does give you a different perspective on all the little mundane things that you do in your day.
1: Absolutely. And I think we can get so hung up on, and I, I saw it in my own life. I'm human. Um, in my younger years, you get hung up on some dream being fulfilled and mm. some big picture, uh, whether it's a task oriented kind of thing, or it's a relational thing. We get this picture in mind of of kind of the destination we're going in. And we think if we don't get to that destination. We haven't arrived. We're not successful. Um, And sometimes when you put an actual, I'm a pastor or I'm a a worship leader, if I, if I'd pigeonholed myself into just those things, I would have missed out if I just said, I'm a singer songwriter and I'm not doing anything else because it doesn't fit into that bracket. Look, I would have missed out on being a part of the Somebody Cares family through Mm. disaster relief and through then that moved into Um, you know, producing and helping record and do all the things behind the scenes of Doug's podcast. And I just would have missed out on so many things. And so that's why I really, it seems like such a broad thing to say I'm a friend, but it helps me to just be open and flexible and available to wherever God moves me and whatever task he puts me to do. um, I can do that because I'm a friend and that fits into being a friend. Yeah. I love that. Um, As part of your being a friend,
0: you eventually (laughs) did start writing and recording music, uh, which was a huge step of faith because prior to that, you had really no musical training, right?
1: That's Um, correct.
0: So how and why did that all come about?
1: Well, writing, I've always, I don't remember a time where I didn't um, keep some sort of journals or I always wrote stories even as a kid. Um, A lot of times those Journal entries would kind of follow a a poetic style. Um, My brother picked up the guitar when he was 16, 17. So me being in Baytown that six month period and, you know, trying to be miserable, but God was actually (laughs) getting a hold of me and my misery was lessening and lessening. And I was more excited about being there and being with Mike, my brother, we're very close, uh, 11 months age different. So very close all of our lives, but he picked up the guitar and started playing and we would take these, you know, journal entries and little poems that I was writing and just begin to build melodies and songs around those. But I, that is one area, Jody. I'm still incredibly, I fight that shy kid, that yeah. shy kid. If she's still, if she still lives, she <laughs> lives in those kind of things in showing people my work or, um, Singing my songs I wrote in front of people, um, which is odd because when I first started leading worship um, for my dad's church, Baton Church, most of the stuff we sang was stuff I had written. Really? I mean, the majority of the songs we were singing as a church were stuff that I'd written, and I had no problem doing that. So I don't know what's happened <laughs> between then and now that's that's caused that like timidity to want to return, but. Uh, I still write, um, and it's still, a, a passion. I love, I, I write every day, um, and just, and work on that. But, um, so you yeah, overcame still an area some, I'm shy in. Yeah. Well,
0: you overcame some of that shyness when you start selling some of the EPs and why, I mean, that obviously there was a, a reason for that. It wasn't yes. to glorify your name to yourself or Not to enough. get on, uh, to get on American Idol.
1: Not at all. <laughs> That's never <laughs> been, never been an ambition of mine. It really was out of necessity. I was doing a lot of mission trips. I was taking teams around. Um, we went to Oklahoma and Arkansas and different places, kind of regional to this area: Texas, Louisiana, Arkansas, Oklahoma. Um, and we were going and doing nights of revival, nights of worship, and I was taking teams of ten or more people. And was really just needing to help finance those trips so that the churches, it didn't matter their budget. We were mm. coming if we were asked to come. And and then also taking big trips and went to somebody who cares Scotland on several occasions. Um, really over the eight year period, I went about eight times. Yeah, And so it was all those EPs were fundraisers. And so I was willing to put myself out there for the greater good.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. To see. Well, that's great. Now, I know, Cassie, that James 127 is near and dear to you. We've talked about that before and um, where we're told to look after orphans and widows in their distress. And it's also something that somebody cares is deeply committed to as well, which is why we started the Widows and Orphan Fund. And we have partners around the world that are entrusted with the care of orphans. And we hear of widows who have given a lifetime of service to the Lord and are now in need Uh, So as a company of women, we can come together and meet needs that we could not possibly do alone. Uh, So I invite you, dear listener, please, uh, to pray about joining our company of women with a gift at HerGodStory.org to help widows and orphans that are in need. Um, Now, Cassie, in the midst of the ministry, all the ministry you were doing, all the ministry your, your parents were doing, your family went through some tough times and God had you step up in a pretty unique and big way for your niece and nephew. Can you tell us about that?
1: Yeah. I mentioned a little bit earlier about stepping in as, as a surrogate mother and, um, yeah, my sister, uh, has just gone through some hard, hard times and, and, Sometimes we compound those with choices we make, and uh she had just found herself in those those seasons of not being present and not being available and I was, and um you know thankfully, I was there and had stepped in at different times that they really needed me and then it it did shift to being a full time thing you know full time mothering them um through their teen years, and now, as young adults, they're twenty and twenty two um, it's heartbreaking and, and it's, so many things have happened. Um, family members that have gone through health crisis. Um, my sister, even over the last year, she had had a really bad car wreck, um, was unable to bend her knees. So she was needing full-time care. And that's something that was so beautiful to watch. And just part of this restoration theme that was happening between her and my mom, myself and my niece i would think are the four and what's beautiful is as women you know we're 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 pillars in our family and as women watching the four of us um just God to repair and he taught me so much about you know, so, many, so many times we can i really saw myself as the the older brother in the prodigal story mm. you know and God really in his sweet merciful way really disciplined me through my relationship with my sister, because, um, she is one and she knows this, if she's listening, she knows this is true. She is one who can, who can hurt and cut me the deepest, but as sisters do, because they know the real you, they know the truth. And so, um, the beautiful thing about that is she would say things to me that, um, and I'll tell this one story. One time we were in the midst of a, a little, a little battle, and um, it was not going well for her and didn't feel well for me. But she said this and she said, you just set yourself up as a martyr. So, so you open up a fight and then you back away because you don't want to really get into it anymore. And then we're all left kind of in the the aftermath of this. And instead of just finishing out the, the conversation or the fight, then everybody is protecting you because you're the one who has this picture perfect life talking about myself mm-hmm. and she's the one with the struggles going on. The truth is we all have our struggles. We all have our pain. We've all made bad decisions in life. Hers are just more evident than mine. And as, and she since has, we've worked that out and apologize. But the thing is Jody, that was really helpful is I really was doing that. Uh-huh. I'd throw out a little dig and then I'd back away and everyone would come to my rescue because it looked like my sister was being the one that was causing the problem. And so it really did reading that prodigal story again. And the Lord really just dealing with my heart um, and me humbling myself and recognizing the areas that I was causing um, her pain. Or I was causing my parents pain caused this reconciliation to really just over the last year, it's been beautiful to watch um, my sister come out of a destructive behavior and come out of addiction and come out of relationships that were unhealthy. And that ultimately, and she gave this testimony a couple of Sundays ago, it would have led to her death.
0: Yeah. It
1: would have led to her death. And, and one of the things she said on Sunday is I'm just so grateful. My family never gave up. Mm. And that that is, and that kind of goes to be in the friendship thing too, because a true friends, a true friend sticks by you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No
1: matter what's going on. Well, it is really
0: difficult. Uh, when you, when someone you love is making those destructive life choices over a long period of time and you hope and you help and they don't make those changes. I mean, we've seen that in our family as well, um, to stick it out and to persevere and to not give up. And to not judge. Um, mm. Sometimes I have found in my own life that uh, the Lord has convicted this, me of this, that even though, uh, you know, I'm doing the right thing and maybe somebody mm. else isn't, I'm judging their actions mm-hmm. based on what God's telling me to do. And that's also sin. And I've had to repent of that. It's one mm. of those internal sins that nobody can see, but exactly. it's sin nonetheless. Um But when, when you see someone that you love going through those destructive life choices for so long, it's hard not to give up. So how did you persevere and how did you deal with that? And how did you help your niece and your nephew deal with that? Who were much younger when all of this was going through, when they were going through all of this.
1: I think uh, especially when they were younger, I was used a lot to be the, the shield. And so when things were going on at home, we'd load up myself and Mason and Abigail and we'd go get a treat somewhere, you know, a Dairy Queen or something, have a little ice cream and just kind of get a, you know, remove them from the situation. And then the more that they got older and asked questions, it was really because I'd had this relationship with them that was one of... Open conversation. One of um, really, any, if anything, that's where I learned to to lighten up on my judgmental ways, yeah. and you know, to to grow in a compassionate, understanding heart is in parenting them. But um, yeah, I think I think helping them has just been being a place, a beautiful thing that I've seen kind of w- woven through our whole family. Is no matter what we're going through we have a laugh and we, we find a moment of joy. And sometimes it, we're the only one in the moment trying to like, Hey guys, let's take a moment. Let's take a breather. And you know, that could lead to you being jumped on. (laughs) But most of the time there is this, it's joy that comes from the Lord. It's not a hilarity and like, let's just forget about our problems, but it's just, Hey guys, the joy of the Lord is our strength. Let's, let's just reflect on, so one of the ways of persevering is you reflect on what is working, what is going good and what in those troubling times, um, we've gone through seasons of, uh, you know, my, my uncle passed away suddenly in 2018 and, um, that was a devastating time for our family, but it's, it, it's in the moments of, of crisis that you see an opportunity for compassion, for selflessness. Mm-hmm. In in seasons where you've just been comfortable, you're not usually looking out for anyone else. You're just comfortable and you're just not really alert to what's going on. But crisis gives an opportunity to respond in a Christ-like manner. And so in those times of feeling like I can't do this anymore, and I've definitely had those um, involving my sister or just family things that have gone on, had those moments of like, maybe this is just not going to work out. Mm. And I heard the Lord say one time, are you okay with that? Yeah. Cause what he was really doing in me is stopping me from trying to strategize and plan out her redemption or anybody else's redemption yep. and really trust God is big enough to speak to her and, and to love on her and to woo, you know, it says his kindness draws us to rede- uh, repentance, his kindness draws us to repentance. And so, it really taught me in those times of how to really let go Yeah. because I'm a little bit of a control freak.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: It's that love without, love without expectation,
0: love with no strings. Mm. That is God's That's kind so of love, hard. but it's so hard for us, particularly when so we, we really do love someone, we want the best for them. And, yeah. um, but not expecting them to appreciate it or even acknowledge that love is hard. It's, the kind of love God gives everyone in the world. Some accept it and some don't. But He wants us to have that compassion too uh, for mm. everyone because that's how we become, like you said, that's how we become Christ like.
1: And I think for me, ref- you, another way of just persevering in that is that I released her mm. from being anything doing anything? It's, and I really begin to focus on my relationship with the Lord. Yeah, How am I responding in this moment? And is this really, like you said, is this really Christ's love? Is this really godly love? And, and am I really displaying that? And if I wasn't, then I need to get alone with God and let him work on me. So I really turned it back inward, you know, anger that leads us to sin. Is not godly, but righteous anger. Instead of pointing the finger at everyone else and what they should be doing, righteous anger looks in and goes, "What do I need to do, yeah. God? What are the areas in my life that need to be pruned? <laughs> what are the areas that need growth?" And so, letting God really come and and just tend the garden of my heart, yeah, helped me to persevere and have that second wind of, "Okay, I can do this." Especially in the days when we're, you know, full on having to care after a wreck
0: <laughs> for yeah. my sister.
1: There, you need you need uh, the second wind and endurance, and that only comes when you really know who you are and what you're created to do and yeah. who you're created to be. Yeah, it's interesting that you know God
0: kind of cleared your calendar a little bit before that happened, even to give you personal room to be able to respond yes. in that way. You know, not, not, uh, everybody is able to do that because of other responsibilities, but God right. kind of cleared your schedule prior to give you that space to respond. Absolutely. Well, you came and worked for Somebody Cares for a while, which was a real, real departure from, uh, being at the church and leading worship. And, um, how do you see, I mean, that, 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 you know, I mean, there's twists and turns in the road with God, but how did you see that kind of as part of your life and as your next step in what he was asking you to do?
1: Yeah, I have to, I have to do that looking back because in the moment, Jody, and just kind of like every, I mean, it would take us multiple podcasts to explain all of the different things that are on my resume of experiences. All of them were just things I happened upon. I wasn't, pursuing any certain thing through my friendships, these mm-hmm. opportunities came. And I'd actually just landed back in Texas from Baltimore in um, August, I think it was the 24th, 25th, something like that, of 2017. And it was a day or so before the hurricane hit that I'd landed. I'd seen it in at the t- uh, terminal on the screens. They were talking about Houston bracing for... Hurricane Harvey. And that was kind of the first I'd heard about, you know, nowadays I can hear about it months in advance because my mind is thinking <laughs> of the time I've served as somebody cares, you hear hurricane and you immediately start back then. I didn't have that kind of, you know, uh, mind, my mind didn't go, I, I was kind of hit out of the blue with Hurricane Harvey. And, um, I had planned to get my visa to go back to Scotland September of 2017. Mm-hmm. And I felt, the, I felt the Lord just saying, wait, and I didn't know why. And then Harvey happened end of August, 2017. And uh, coming alongside, I, I think I just made a phone call. Hey, I'm available. I'm here in Houston. Let me know. The next day you took me up on that. And I began <laughs> to get the phones forwarded to my cell phone because we couldn't leave our little quadrants of greater Houston. Were yeah. Flooded. Houston was totally and, flooded rained for days we had forgotten what the sun looked like and that seems very dramatic but it was really true i remember when the sun was out and the rain stopped after like a four-day period everybody was out in the street you know assessing kind of where what was happening could we get out of our our neighborhoods because literally everywhere in greater houston was flooded and you're flooded in um but i immediately jumped in began to organize teams Uh, began to talk to churches about hosting and just really under yours and Matt uh, Stevens and Mark Roy, Doug's uh, tutelage. I just became a sponge and learning about disaster relief and what did it mean to kind of put all of the pieces together. And I loved one of the things that somebody cares does is to leverage the local church um, during times of crisis. And so I think I just got to really exercise a administrative leadership arm that I had seen a little bit, but, you know, being a pastor's kid, you can kind of just go, well, this is because my dad's the pastor. He's the guy in charge. I'm his kid. Um, So maybe that's why this is working well in my life, but coming over and and serving somebody cares in that way. I realized, no, this is a gift. You know, I have a gift of administrative. Yeah. talents and so i need to exercise that more and a lot of things i didn't know i could do i didn't know i could learn how to produce a podcast and write show notes and i mean just all of the behind the scenes things um that just there's so many people that dream about and have aspirations to do the things that i just stumbled into and i don't <laughs> I don't know i'm grateful for that and i uh, want to keep my mind and my eyes peeled for anybody who's you know really desiring to be in those places that I can help them, you know, yeah, step into those roles, but I've, I've stumbled into them. Um, but God had a plan all along. Well, you stumbled sure. into them sort of, I mean,
0: you were being obedient to the Lord and when you follow God and just say, yes, you make yourself available. Uh, he leads you places you never would have been able to go or find yourself if you had been seeking so it so out true. on your own. And that's the beauty about obedience to the Lord. You know, I was, thinking about obedience a few months ago and um the lord just started speaking to me and saying obedience is really just walking with me you know we 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 say the word obedience and all of us get this dreaded feel oh my if i'm not obedient we're going to get a spank you know on the behind right. or something from when we were little right. you you better obey but obedience to the lord is walking with him so true it's staying close to him and just turning when he turns and moving when he moves that's that's obedience, which isn't scary or hard or uh bad in any way. It's it's a delight and a joy to walk with God. Yeah. I mean, I need to remind myself of that often, but you know, <laughs> if we look at obedience differently, it changes our yes. perception.
1: That's so true.
0: Yeah. So while you were at Somebody Cares, and even before you had done that, you and your brother started something called the Houston Worship Community, um, which is kind of a whole nother aspect of ministry that you've been involved in. And why, why, why did Houston need a worship community? Um, You know, there's churches all over the
1: place in Houston. So what was that about? That was about a group of friends. It's always going to come back to friends, I think, in my life. But that was a group of friends that Greater Houston can take an hour or two sometimes, depending on where you're headed, to get across. So people to have friendships over the entire scope of Greater Houston, that's pretty difficult to do. And so it was really these pockets of friendships that we had that we saw Um, Here in Houston, I don't know if it's like this outside of Houston or outside of Texas, but we have a culture that hires worship teams, hires musicians. People are not necessarily planted in that church and then take on that role. They are hired out and some of them can be a part of four or five different churches on a weekend and they're getting paid very well to play the guitar, play drums, to maybe sing. Um and so we just we what we saw was a lot of hirelings mm. and very few people di- being discipled. Very few people having pastoral care. Um most of the times the leadership didn't even know the the people's names. And this is a young crowd. This is this is a lot of people that are, you know, teenagers and 20-somethings. Yeah. That this is their First experience in ministry looks like being paid a hefty. I mean, they're they're paid very well in most churches, especially the mega church culture um, and and just not really cared for. And so my brother and I, through our friendships, begin to see that and just begin to um, really invite people to dinner, invite people to coffee, and just be very intentional in connecting our friends across the city. Um, To know that you're not alone, know that you have a sounding board. Um, Our very first meetup was in the South side in a, a town here called Pearland. And we were just kind of expressing our heart and, hey, you know, at times you're feeling burnt out and you don't know who to reach out to. And that seems really, especially as a pastor's kid, that seems really hard to comprehend. You don't, you couldn't reach out to your pastor or to your leadership but a lot of these guys that are hired on or girls that are hired on feel like if I reach out, I'm reaching out to my boss, my employer. And if I tell them I'm struggling, they're going to tell me to take a week or two or a month off. They may or may not have me come back. And this is my livelihood. This is how for good or bad, this is how they make money. This is their career. And, um, so we just became that bridge of, of, Hey, we'll, we'll be there for you. If you're struggling on a Sunday morning text, call, we'll step in, walk you through it, help you through it as best we can. And just uh, being available. And like I said, a minute ago, being a friend is what that community became.
0: Yeah. And encouraging one another in the Lord, not just, Hey, if you're struggling, but really leading them back to Jesus because yes. Yeah. If you're, if you're in, four or five churches on a weekend, you might not even hear the sermons. You might just go there and play the music and you're not being fed yourself necessarily. So that was uh, a really unique ministry that God had you in and kind of still has you in. Although you said it's kind of morphed into regional groups now. Um, Right. But such a a unique way to be a friend, (laughs) leading people to friendship with God.
1: Yes, that's a good way of putting it.
0: So those who've listened to a few episodes of this podcast know that one of my favorite verses right now is uh, Psalm one nineteen sixty eight that says, God is good and everything he does is good. So how have you seen and experienced the goodness of God in your life? Just looking back over his fingerprints on your life, give us a couple of examples of his goodness to you, Cassie.
1: The family I was born into, um... You know, I know that that's not across the board, how everybody's raised and brought up. And even the times that my parents were out of church, not serving God, they didn't feed us that bitterness. Mm. Um, we still maintained a love for God, a love for the church. And I mean, they were they were not happy. They were angry at some things that had gone down and um, they could have easily fed that to us. And we don't even know the whole story because they just never fed us that. And we always maintained a love for the church. And I see that as being just part of the goodness of God in, in keeping, um, you know, everything I've gone through. I can't remember a time that an unbeliever or a worldly person hurt me, abused me, manipulated me. It's always been a church person, you know, a person who professes their faith in Christ and yet I've always maintained a love for people in general and especially for the church. And I feel like that that's the goodness of God. If just I just don't allow what other people do to affect how I view God or see God. And through that, he is able to show me his goodness, even in the midst of all of that And and so, yeah, I've, I've seen that in, in the family I was born into. I've seen that in the opportunities I've been allowed to be a part of, um, watching gatherings of people come together and pray and lift up the name of Jesus. I've seen that in health. You know, there's um, most people don't know this, but I've um, had chronic pain undiagnosed. They did every test known to man, started in about 2010, 2011, and it's progressed and some years are better than others. Um, but even in, in that and struggling with health and DS, yes, there's definitely things we can do to help benefit eating healthy, exercising, getting enough sleep, um, doing all those things and allowing our body to heal. But through even my own, um, health struggles, I've watched just the goodness of God and that he's provided and taken care of me and. Um, has led me to to rest when I need to rest and to get up and go when I need to get up and go. Um, yeah, I think that's kind of how I've seen his goodness play yeah. out in my life.
0: and I love that you know God restored uh, a home to you after harvey, your all of your possessions were in storage and they were all flooded. Um, yes and after serving so many during Harvey. While well, mm-hmm. you you had lost everything yourself, um, God restored and gave you a home. You know, as a single woman, you were able to buy yes. buy a house that actually others from your family have lived in in their transitions for periods of time. Yes.
1: Yes. Such a good, I had it written. uh, I think I wrote this goal thing for my grandmother. She had it on her refrigerator. I was probably 21 at the time and listed on there was a house. Mm -hmm. And as I was nearing, I think I was 30, this was two years ago, 38 I was thinking there's just no way because I've been in ministry all my life. I've had other jobs as well. I've worked for a record service and I was medical records director at a nursing home. So I've had, you know, quote unquote, real jobs. But most of my stuff, I've lived a missionary lifestyle. I've lived a ministry kid life and um, just didn't think that was ever going to be possible. And I walk. I was looking for a rental house, uh, long story short. My nephew was going through cancer. I was an hour and a half away. My family really needed me to be here, help my sister in law and my brother. And uh, it just made sense for me to move and and be back in Baytown. And this was in 2020, pandemic time is going on. I um, came looking for a rental place. And the realtor that was working with me said, DR Horton is offering this incredible deal. Would you like to just take a look at some of their new builds? And when I walked in here, Jody, I just immediately knew. I mean, there's no walls, there's no flooring, <laughs> it's a shell <laughs> of a home. And I just felt the peace of God. And I looked, my mother was in town and looked out looked at her. I said, mom, this is it. I don't even know how, like, how do I buy a house? I have no money. I had not, all my savings had gone to helping others. I'd given money away to putting transmissions in missionaries cars. And I don't say that braggingly. I just say I had not saved. Yeah. I had given it away. And, um, just crazy earnest money was $99 and that was legitimately what I had Left over after paying bills and such, and so I did it. I signed that day, intent to purchase, not knowing how. <laughs> I was get I was given a really low down payment. It was under ten thousand, and it was given to me. Um, the interest rate on this home is two point six seven percent. My family's in locked in for thirty years. My family's in real estate. They've never seen even in the eighties and in times of like you know, things are going really great. They've never seen interest rates like that. And so it was from start to finish. Now there was times I thought I was going to lose all my hair. And (laughs) as you're doing the loan process, right. And like, what am I doing? Am I crazy? I I think I said that many times to everybody working with me through it. Like, am I crazy? Is this really going to happen? And the loan officer working through me, uh, for me, who we only spoke on the phone he was more encouraging to me than I was (laughs) to myself. He's like, it's going to be fine. We're working it out. And I just thought, just tell me, because I want to get, I don't want to get my hopes up. Just tell me if (laughs) it's not going to work. And so literally right into the day of I'm, you know, putting my key in the door, I'm thinking, I don't think this is real. And it took me even a while to like put stuff up on the walls and really set up in a home because I'm thinking this isn't real. And you, you mentioned in Harvey, I think it was about 75% of our stuff was underwater. It was all in a storage unit. We were in between Um, my family and I, my parents were sharing a storage unit. We were in between, you know, living spaces and, uh, it was all under the water and we didn't know because the, we were far away from Baytown at the time of Harvey. So we didn't know for several weeks. So water goes up furniture and, and it just, it was bad. It was bad when we opened the container um, but I had a church that we were serving, Deer and Harvey, that had teamed up with a furniture store. And when I walked in, I thought I was just picking out a couple of end tables. They had given me a shopping spree. And so wow. almost 90% of what's in my home today came from that shopping spree, where I had a couple of camo, you know, outdoor chairs and a little <laughs> TV set up. My home looks like a home now, two years later, um, thanks to generous people that I met through disaster relief. Such the goodness of God that
0: he repays those. He takes care of those who take care of his business. He's going to make sure they're taken care of too. Friend of God. So good. It's good to be a friend of God. (laughs) It's really good to be a friend of God. Well, I love to ask my guests to share if there's a woman in the Bible whose story inspired, encouraged, or taught you something and how your story relates to hers. So how about it?
1: Yes. I love this, this woman in the Bible, and most would um, probably think I'm going to say her daughter-in-law's name, but <laughs> it's Naomi. Naomi has always been um, just a story. I love reading her story, and mm-hmm. through her eyes, as I've read her story, um, Naomi's life illustrates the power of God to bring something good out of bitter circumstances. Being single and in the ministry, even through my... You know, as recently as in my thirties, you know, the classic thing would be to give me a book about Ruth and, and, you know, I'm in the prayer line and they're telling me God's going to send me my Boaz or any of those things. And that's beautiful. That's encouragement. I'm not saying don't do that. But as I studied her life as a young leader, I kept seeing it from Naomi's perspective. Mm. And I was even teaching on the story of Ruth. And in the middle of teaching, God was talking and speaking to my heart saying, this isn't Ruth's story. Yes, her name's the title of the book, and she's a big part of the story. She ends up in the lineage of Jesus. But this, from start to finish, is Naomi's journey to redemption, Mm. from famine to tragedy, bitter grief, um, to God giving her a family through Ruth and through her grandson. And so it's just... Her story has been one that has just encouraged me. And probably the most uh, interesting part of it is when she returns. And I won't won't preach the whole lesson. But when (laughs) she returns to Bethlehem, she returns during a season. She's returning saying, don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant. Call me Mara, for I'm bitter. The Lord has dealt a bitter blow, which we know it's not the Lord. It's our choices. She made the choice to leave in a time of famine. And her and her husband were going to go out and find their own way. But she comes back and she comes back in the beginning of the barley season. And the barley harvest is one that represents the overcomer because it's a hardy grain that can withstand the harsh winter. It's It represents those of us that refuse to doubt God, mm. refuse to do anything but trust God. I'm going to trust God. And don't hold anything against God. And I think of the story when um, John the Baptist' disciples go to him, uh, go to Jesus and say, John's in prison. You know, are you the Messiah? Or are we waiting for someone else? And one of the things that Jesus says after he says, you know, are the the lame walking, the blind they're seeing, you know, look around, and see what's, what's going on. He says, blessed is the one who doesn't lose heart on account of me. And I think about that in concept to us as believers. There's so many things, so many circumstances that are out of our control and that could cause us to turn bitter It yeah. could cause us to lose out with God and sever that tether that I was talking about earlier and just go, you know what? I'm just going to drift. <laughs> and if a rock takes me out, a rock takes me out, but have caused us not to, we've clung tighter to our salvation and clung tighter to the, to the anchor that is Jesus. And that barley represents those kind of that crop that can withstand anything, any yeah. storm. And, and so God was saying, as she's coming back to Bethlehem saying, I'm bitter, <laughs> I've had a hard <laughs> life. God's saying, no, you're an overcomer. And so I think that that's why her story spoken so you know much to me. There's so many beautiful women in the Bible, but Naomi's one that I keep coming back to of. Everything can go on and can go wrong. Your decisions or just God's overall plan for your life can always can doesn't always feel good or yeah. look right. But if you hold tight and hold she held tight to her faith in God. Yeah. And and she's the one who showed Ruth what it meant to be a follower. He was for Ruth, he was the God of Naomi before he became her God. Yeah. And so she she held tight to her faith no matter what she was going through. And so I see her a lot of myself in that story. Yeah, that's
0: good. Well, Proverbs seventeen seventeen says a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for a time of adversity. And when you lay down your life for your family, like Cassie did, or for a friend, um, God is able to work wonders in their lives and in yours. As you empty yourself for the sake of God's glory, nothing is impossible. When you make yourself a friend of God, he makes himself a friend of you. Cassie, could you take a moment
1: and just pray for everyone of our listeners? Father, we thank you today, God, that we have the privilege to gather together even over a podcast. God, we reflect on your goodness. We reflect on your friendship to us before we ever chose you. You chose us, God, and we thank you for that. We thank you for that. God, I pray that each of the listeners, the ladies, maybe gentlemen that have stumbled upon this podcast today, God, that they would know your goodness, that they would be able to reflect today back over their lives and see your hand and your mm-hmm. kindness that has led, that has guided them. mm mm-hmm. God, and I thank you that they would see themselves as overcomers, that they would see themselves, um, God, even as leaders. Like we talked about Miss Betty. Maybe not, they don't see themselves as leaders right at this moment, but through listening today, they begin to think, I could do that. I can be a leader. I can use the gifts that you've given me. And so, God, we pray over them, that you would strengthen them, that you would encourage them, that you would send friends along their way, God, that would uh, just come alongside them. And God, we thank you just for um, just for this platform, God, for people to hear our God stories, to hear and know that you are good. And we just, uh, we lift you up. We lift up the name of Jesus today. We thank you for each of these listeners and we bless them in Jesus name. Amen.
0: Amen. Well, thank you for tuning in. Links to Cassie's music, as well as the scriptures and other helpful information is in our show notes at hergodstory.org. There you can also sign up for periodic emails and get a free devotional download on Women of the Bible. Uh, We'd love for you to share Cassie's story with friends. So please do that and be sure to follow the podcast on whatever your favorite streaming service is, so you don't miss an episode. And now, dear friends, I leave you with the prayer of blessing from 3 John 1, verse 2. I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers.
1: Her God Story is a ministry of Somebody Cares America and International. To find out more about or support the ministry, go to somebodycares.org.